Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. We're going to be in the book of 2 John today. We're, right now, we're in a series that is called um, Go, uh, Go Love People. And uh, in this series, last week, we were in the epistle, the letter of 1 John. This week, we're in 2 John. Next week, we will be in 3 John. You guys are sharp. <laughs> we'll be in 3 John next week. And... Um, but the whole series, the banner over this series is, is Go Love People, and we're looking at different ways that John challenges us to do that. So this morning, we're gonna, uh, my title is, uh, is Open Hand Versus Closed Hand. Open Hand Versus Closed Hand. And that's a, a metaphor that is really helpful for navigating uh, differences, uh, differences of doctrine and belief, uh, differences of values and priorities, differences of perspective amongst Christians. And uh, it's not a metaphor you're going to find in Scripture. It's a concept you find in Scripture. In fact, we find this concept in today's text. But let me just um, unpack it a little bit and how I'm using it today, because uh, you know, this, this metaphor of closed hand versus open hand can be used different ways. So here's how I'm defining the terms today. Uh, first of all, closed hand, okay? Closed hand. Not, not clenched fist. Closed hand. There's a difference. Closed hand is where we place the primary doctrinal beliefs and priorities that are central to historical Orthodox Christian faith, okay? Matters of what what do we say about Jesus? Uh, Who is Jesus? Who does Jesus claim to be? What is the nature of salvation? By by what means are we saved? These These are core issues that are central to Orthodox Christian faith. There's also issues that are, that belong in the open hand, and these are secondary issues, beliefs, values, practices, and priorities. And here's the thing. They're important and they matter, but here's what we recognize, that they are things that sincere, authentic, committed followers of Jesus might differ over, okay? So closed hand, open hand. And the question that John is writing to address in both, actually both second and third John it's a question that's relevant to the Christian church of the 21st century. He's writing to the church of the first century. The church had, at the time that he was writing, the specific group he was writing to had been about, around for about 35 years, which I found interesting this week because we've been around for about 35 years. But the gospel's been around for, for what? You know, 2,000 years now. The question he's asking is just as relevant today as it was back then. It's just that the issues might be different. So the question is, which beliefs, priorities, and practices go in which hand? Which things are close-handed? Which things go in the open hand? And answering that question well, answering that question well, it requires a few things. On top of my list would be wisdom, meaning discernment of what does God say about this thing? Wisdom, discernment. There's wisdom, it requires humility. It's a certain teachability that, that recognizes I may not have everything right. Not only you might not, it's easy for me to think that you might not have everything right. 
It takes humility to recognize I might not have everything right, doesn't it? So humility and also love. Everything we do is to be permeated in love. That's a central message of our author, John, is that we are to love one another. John heard Jesus throughout Jesus' ministry talk about love. He was there the day that Jesus said to someone, someone came and asked him, what's the most important commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on that. Everything emerges out of those two commandments. So he heard Jesus say that. He heard Jesus say in his final message to his disciples, he heard him say, the world is going to know you by the way that you love one another. So when we start talking about these issues of closed hand versus open hand, we need wisdom, humility, and love. We also need a community of people who've been walking with Jesus, who are walking with Jesus, for us to help discern this. Because here's what happens. We can get off track when either everything that matters to us goes in a closed hand. Or we can get off track when nothing belongs in the closed hand, right? We need to know what goes where. So let me just give you a few examples, the type of things that, that we might be asking this about today. Does that go in the closed hand or the open hand? Um, politics, right? Obvious one in 2024. The issue being, should all committed followers of Jesus vote the same way? How should, and, and how should the church be involved in politics? There's a, that's a very important question. What about Bible translations? Must all Christians use the same translation of Scripture? And when it comes to uh, interpretations of Scripture, ones that are more fluid, which ones of those are acceptable? Issues of women in leadership. Can women lead in all areas of the church? Or if not all, where is the line? Where do you draw that line? There's issues of eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times, end things. What do we or what do you, what do I believe about the end times? How do you interpret books like Revelation? It's worth noting that, that most of us, if you grew up in 21st century American church, you most likely were exposed to one specific school of eschatology. There's actually four that the historic church over the last 2,000 years has held, four options on eschatology that kind of broad categories. The one that most of us were most shaped by and most exposed to is the newest kid on the block. That should make us question, do we have everything right? Is this something that belongs in the closed hand or the open hand? We have things that are more recent like uh, coronavirus and everything that that fun topic included, right? Or we were figuring out what goes in the closed hand, what goes in the open hand. We, we dealt with that as it related to masks and vaccines and government mandates. And some people made close-handed issues of those things on either side of it. Currently, we've got questions about the war in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Should Christians be taking a side in that? And if so, which side should they be taking? And how does God feel about that particular conflict? We have issues of LGBTQ+. What does obedience to Jesus look like regarding our own sexuality? And also, what about the sexuality and gender of other people? What about other people who aren't yet followers of Jesus? I use the word yet there because we hope all people come to know our Lord and Savior. 
How should Christians be navigating these issues of sexuality within our culture? There's questions right now about abortion legislation with the overturn of Roe v. Wade. How should states legislate their abortion restrictions? What should Christians be lobbying for in their own state? And how should we go about doing that? How should we go about trying to affect change? Is that enough? You want me, you want me to go on? Did you feel the temperature rise? I did. That wasn't the thermostat. <laughs> Lest you think I'm singling you out, if you and I have had conversations or email exchanges about one of those topics, I'm not singling anybody out. I've had conversations about every single one of those topics on both sides and every side in between. I can, I can assure you within this room, there are sincere followers of Jesus with the Holy Spirit living inside them, deeply committed to following Jesus, who think differently about that issue than what you might think, than what I might think. So what do we do with that? These things matter. I'm not trying to dismiss it. They matter. What do we do about it? It might be helpful for you to dial up your, to your own awareness. I won't ask you to share it right now, but to dial up to your own awareness, what things do I put in the closed hand? What things would I break relationship with my church or with another believer over? What things might cause me to, to feel someone else had left the faith? What do I put in the closed hand? Does it belong there? Okay, back to 2 John. As we, can, as we come to this really short letter of 2 John, it's 13 verses. It is the second shortest book in Scripture. We have 66 books that make up what we call Scripture. 66 books. This is the second shortest. Do you know what the first shortest one is? 3 John. John. We'll get there next week, Okay. But there's an urgency in this letter. We find the author doing some damage control. And here's why. It's because people are being open-handed about something that actually belongs in the closed hand. Let's turn to John. Verse 1. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Listen to this line. This is not a throwaway line. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. Grace, mercy, and peace. Isn't that what we most long for to experience from our Creator? Unearned favor, undeserved favor, mercy and kindness, right? Grace, mercy, and love, and peace. We have peace with our Creator. So let me just highlight three things out of that opening paragraph. First of all, the author identifies himself by a title, not by his name. He calls himself the elder, which, um, you know, in their context, probably meant something a little different than the way we use it in the 21st century American church. We, we talk about elder boards, and elder boards could be made, there's a wide variety of elder boards. <laughs> I've seen elder boards that were made up of like 25-year-old uh, single guys that were super opinionated, right? In their day, to be called an elder actually, it was attached to how long you've walked on this planet, okay? It did have to do with age, but it also reflected this. It reflected respect and earned authority, 
earned authority based on the sustained pattern of someone's life. If someone was an elder, they were deeply respected for their age, for the way they had lived their life. And John, in this case, we, 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 most, most all commentators agree that this is actually the Apostle John, meaning John the beloved of Peter, James, and John. It's clear in his writings, a couple things we know. First of all, this book very much mirrors the language and the content and the intent of 1 John and of the Gospel of John. And there's parallels with the book of Revelation written by John. And so most everybody thinks that this is the Apostle John. It's clear that this person was an eyewitness who had very close relationship with Jesus and heard Jesus' emphasis on love. We know that uh, in church history, it records John as the oldest living apostle living in Ephesus with a message of love. Here's John, 12 apostles. Judas died early. Of the remaining 11, John outlived them all. He lived to be the oldest apostle, one of the last eyewitnesses of Jesus who actually heard Jesus himself. We didn't hear it secondhand. He, he walked with him, touched him. We're going to look at this in a minute. But he was an eyewitness of Jesus, writing at a time when there weren't many eyewitnesses left. And so he has this deep responsibility. The other apostles, they all were martyred. I think all 10 of them historically were martyred for their faith, which means that they were so convinced by the Jesus that they walked with that he was who he said he was, that he could grant forgiveness and eternal life, that he could grant new creation life, that they were reckless with their earthly mortal life to the degree that they wouldn't renounce him at the cost of their own life. That's how deeply they were persuaded that he was who he said he was, that his claims were authentic. They tried to kill John too, Domitian, during the Domitian persecution, somewhere around the mid-90s, Domitian tried to boil John in oil. Actually, I don't know if it was oil. It might have been water. Tried to boil him. He survived. That's graphic, right? Jerome writes in a commentary. This is an ancient commentary. Jerome writes about John. The blessed John the evangelist lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to church, and he could not muster the voice to speak many words. So during individual gatherings, he usually said nothing but this. This is what he said. Little children, love one another. And he dropped the mic. The disciples and brothers in attendance, annoyed because they always heard the same message, finally said, teacher, why do you always say this? He replied with a line worthy of John, because it's the Lord's commandment and if it alone is kept, it's sufficient. Wow. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's be done. That alone is sufficient. If heard, if embraced and lived. So who's, that's John. That's our author. Who's he writing to? He writes to the chosen lady and her children question is he's being literal or metaphorical is this a literal woman and her immediate her, her immediate family or is he being metaphorical is he talking about the church and the people that meet at this point churches met in in homes so it would have been a house church uh, most commentators they could go either way and it doesn't actually change the way that you interpret the meaning of the book I want to suggest that I think it's probably he's writing to a local church for a few reasons one is that John 
uses language of family, affectionate language of family to talk about the relationships of people within the body of Christ. He talks about us as brothers and sisters. He talks about those in the church as little children, right? He's writing as an elder. We know that John in writing the book of Revelation refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And we know that, that later at the end of this book, when we get to verse 13, he's gonna close with a similar language. He's gonna say, the children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greetings, which sounds like he's saying the church that he's a part of, the home church that he's a part of sends greetings to the church that he's writing to. So most likely that's, that's the way I'm interpreting it. Doesn't change the interpretation though. Lastly, one thing I want you to notice on this last slide. Can we put that last slide up one more time? Uh, I have bolded these, no, can we go back one, one through three? I bolded the words truth and love because they show up repeatedly. And in 13 verses, this is the repeated theme. And there's an interconnectedness. John is very circular. And so he connects truth and love in ways where it's like, so what are you saying? It's reciprocal. Truth and love are connected in Jesus, right? Let's go on to verse four. It's given me great joy to find some of you, some of your children walking in the truth, just as the father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing to you a new commandment, but one that we've had from the beginning. He's talking about when he walked with Jesus some five decades ago. What did Jesus say? I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you, that we walk in love. Walk is an intentional direction. Walk in love. He says, here's where we find out the situation. We find out the urgency of why he's writing. He says that some of your children are walking in the truth. The implication is that what? Some aren't. <laughs> Not all of them are. That's the occasion. That's the urgency. You might think of this, this letter that he's writing, this brief letter as triage. He's got to stop the bleeding of this church. He's got to stabilize the patient. And that's what he's ultimately after, right? Verse seven, I say this because, so here's, here's the issue. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone in, out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for but that you may be fully rewarded. Paul, John says there are many deceivers. He doesn't name them by name. He doesn't even say their name rhymes with. Because that wouldn't be as helpful as identifying the teaching that is spreading across the first century church. He want their, this teaching is, is going from town to town, home to home, and he wants them to identify teaching that is not core to who Jesus claimed to be. They're teaching that Jesus did not come in the flesh. It's an early form of a heresy that was called Gnosticism that is going to fully bloom in the coming decades after John's life. But basically what they're doing is they're reimagining Jesus according to the human wisdom of their day. And the, the, these teachers were very influenced by Greek philosophy that said that matter was bad and spirit was good. Okay? So the, the body, this, this thing is like a, a prison that, we're, that our spirit's trying to escape and, and the two don't, don't belong together. So they're, they're taking that Greek philosophy and they're reinterpreting Jesus through it because they can't make sense how 
the eternal God would come and take on human flesh. And so they're reinterpreting Jesus according to their worldview. What they're coming up with is fake Jesus, imposter Jesus. We'll probably talk about this in a few weeks, but they're, 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 they're creating a bendable, moldable Jesus that they can put in their image. And whenever you come up with a fake, people get hurt. Let me give you an example. My, I read this from a, an author. Um, where's his name? I'm not seeing. Oh, Chris, Chris Langham. Heard this illustration from Chris Langham. I'm going to adopt it a little bit myself. So uh, when my daughters were in middle school, one of my daughters really wanted a Hydro Flask water bottle. Okay? They were the Stanley tumbler of their day. And everybody had to have one. And so my daughter in middle school wanted to have a Hydro Flask and found a great deal for one online, like an amazing price. And so we ordered it. And when it came, it kind of looked like a Hydro Flask, but the logo wasn't quite right. And the lid didn't actually screw on correctly. And so when you drank out of it, it leaked. It was a knockoff, right? It was a fake. And here's the sad thing. Not only did we get ripped off, but it was most likely made in a slave labor environment, right? It was most, most likely made in a place where, where the people manufacturing it weren't treated well. People get hurt when we embrace the knockoffs. But John knows better than to accept this fake Jesus because he experienced Jesus in the first person. Again, he's the last living apostle. Here's what he wrote in 1 John when he thought about Jesus, the, the eternal God putting on human flesh. This is what he said. 1 John 1, 4, 1, 1 through 4. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. That's the eternal God. Whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. The one who is life itself was revealed to us, was, was made manifest in our time. And we have seen him. And now we testify and we proclaim to him or to you, the one who is eternal. He was with the father. When he was revealed to us, we proclaim, then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that you may fully share our joy. Eternal life in God is found in the historic Jesus. What he did, who he claimed to be, what he accomplished, faith in him is the ticket to relationship, peace with God, with our creator. He says, there's joy in this, so don't trade that for a knockoff. There's many deceivers. They've been already traveling. We talked about that in 1 John 4. I'm going to skip over that. But big picture, let me just say this. This belief that flesh and spirit didn't coexist in goodness led to this thought that was Gnostic. It was, uh, Gnostic is, means, it comes from the word gnosis. It, it means knowledge. And the people who claimed this, they claimed to have a special knowledge as if they had a, a more developed theology of Jesus, a more developed Christology. And we're here to tell you secret things that nobody else knows, that those other people, we're, we've got a more advanced faith. And so what it created was fear in people. 
It, it took away the, the substance of who Jesus is and what he claimed to do and offer and then put it on people to figure out for themselves. And you could pay these people to get this secret knowledge. So uh, there's main branches. I'm not gonna go into this. Pastor Brent covered this in greater detail last week during 1 John because this was part of the context of 1 John. So I'm not gonna go into that right now. Let me just say this. What John is trying to do is to stop the bleeding. These deceivers have taken something that belongs in the closed hand. They've put it in the open hand or they've let it go altogether. And so this is how John addresses it. Verse nine, he says, anyone who runs ahead, I think runs ahead here is probably in quotes. Anyone who goes, who departs from this, even in the, in the thinking that they're, they're going to a more advanced or more, uh, you know, a new development. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Does not have God. If you don't have Jesus, historical, authentic Jesus, you don't have God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. A little bit of historical background to this. The way that, again, we, the church was in its infancy is about 50 years old, big picture, 35 years in the region of Ephesus. The way that the gospel advanced was through house churches, networks of house churches with itinerant teachers who would go from house to house. And the way that they were subsidized is that the, they would get host homes who would take care of them, take care of their basic needs, their room and board, and then send them with a gift to go on to the next town where they could repeat the cycle. And what John is saying is, if these people come in and they take this close-handed view of Jesus and they put it in the open hand, they're not actually proclaiming the real faith anymore. Don't listen to them and don't help them take that to other people. Don't help them advance their false teaching. John is bringing some real clarity here. The historic understanding of Jesus is, belongs in the closed hand. That's why he spelled it out right here in the bolded text. He said, if you do not have Christ, you do not have God. Whoever continues in this teaching, though, has both the Father and the Son. The way that we appropriate everything that Jesus offered. Hey, let me say this. Because this, by the way, this morning, I'm going to leave a lot of stuff on the table. I may leave you with more questions than you came in with. But I hope to leave you with a framework that allows you to, to wrestle with some of these things in humility and wisdom and love, okay? But here's what I want to promise. Next week, we're going to be in 3 John. The week after that, we're going to take a kind of a pause week. We call it a Selah week where we pause and let some things breathe. We're going to have a really special morning. Don't miss it. But then after that, we're going to go into a seven-week series that's going to carry us all the way to Easter, and it's gonna be the seven statements in the book of John, the gospel of John. We're gonna st stick with our same author. The seven things that Jesus claimed about himself. We're gonna we're or, organize ourselves around what did Jesus say about himself and what does that mean, okay? So seven weeks of, of just focused on Jesus. Do not miss it because it's through faith in that Jesus that we have life with God. So 
Having addressed that close-handed issue, again, this is triage. He's trying to stop the bleeding. He's trying to stabilize the patient. He says, look, if you hear this teaching, just stop it. Put a stop to it. Don't listen to it. And certainly don't platform these people that are doing this. But then he goes on to address some other things. This is how he closes. Verse 12. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face. The literal language of face to face there is mouth to mouth. It's incredibly intimate. He says, I want, to, I want to be able to look in your eye. I want you to hear the tone of my voice. I want to hear the tone of your voice. There's a lot of things that we could talk about, but I'm not going to do it by email. I'm not going to send you a text. I'm not going to call you out on social media for things that I disagree with. <laughs> Why? If there was other things to cover, if there was other things that matter but aren't primary, why doesn't he address it in his letter? And here's why. Because John's all about love, and he knew that love is more easily expressed and cultivated in face-to-face -face relationships. Researchers tell us that, that some 70% or more of communication is nonverbal. It's reading people's body language, their tone of voice. It's looking them in the eye. And John says, like, there's other things and they're secondary. They, they matter. Let's talk about those face-to-face. -face. Here's what he's given this church. He's given them and other followers of Jesus two tests to discern and navigate when we're, when we're confused about this. And this is like, hey, we're living in crazy times. And there's a lot of reimagining re of the faith, trying to deconstruct and then reconstruct what is real. What, is, what really belongs in the closed hand? That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's scary. Scary when your loved ones are deconstructing their faith. But if we've taken things and made them close-handed, sometimes that's what it takes to do it. What he's given this church is two tests. Here's how to navigate this. There's a truth test and a love test. The truth test is asking this question. Is this issue, whatever the issue is, is this issue central to historic Orthodox Christian faith? Is this clearly spelled out by Jesus in Scripture? Is it in line with the revelation of God the Father that we've been given in the person of Jesus? And if it passed that test, what about the love test? On this issue, what does loving obedience to Jesus look like? How do I express his agape love for others in this matter? There's, again, there's this connection for John. And John's circular. It's a little, I'll, I'll be honest, it's a little challenging trying to create a linear message out of a circular author. <laughs> I'm linear. I've been wrestling with this all week. John's so circular. For him, love and truth are so intertwined. And that's the message. They go together. If you're not walking in love, you probably aren't walking in truth. If you are walking in truth, it will look like walking in love. So, for example, let me just put something through this test. These self-proclaimed authorities who are coming into the church in Ephesus and they're proclaiming a different Jesus, a distortion of Jesus, does that pass the, tr the truth test? No. So then the question is, what does love look like? And what, what he says is it actually doesn't sound like a very loving thing. Don't welcome them into your home. Don't feed them. Don't send them on their way with a gift. Okay? 
Wow, that sounds kind of narrow-minded, doesn't it? But it's because of the issue. They're claiming to be authorities and are claiming to have a different Jesus. Let's close with four application questions. And I think these, these are, I wrote these to help us discern some of the issues that we encounter. And by the way, that, that list of issues I, I put out there on the table this morning, those are not comprehensive. I could have gone on. I literally like, okay, I think that's probably enough. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll be anxious enough just with those. But as we encounter issues, we'll encounter more issues this year. Here's the question. First one, does this issue belong in the closed hand or the open hand? In other words, is this issue a matter of primary doctrine, doctrinal belief that is central to historical Orthodox Christian faith? Or is this a secondary issue that sincere, authentic, committed followers of Jesus might differ over? And if we ask this in humility, we may find that we've been placing some things in the wrong hand. We may find that we've been making close-handed issues out of open-handed issues. I think there's lots of open-handed issues where, where we see one slice of it and somebody else sees a different slice of it. Neither of us are seeing the whole picture, and so we divide. Listen to this quote from the authors of the hard sayings of the Bible. Really powerful quote. The Christian church finds its unity not around this or that doctrine, but around Jesus, around Jesus Christ. To reject the real Jesus either by denying his true humanity, being in the flesh, or by denying his divinity, by denying that Jesus really was the Christ, that's to break, break with the faith and to split from the church community. It is not that doctrine is the key issue, but that that doctrine expresses the distinguishing characteristics of the person to whom one is committed. The one not committed to the real Jesus Christ does not know either the Father or the Son according to John. They're reiterating what we just read. Unfortunately, the church often has not kept this fact central. On the one hand, it has been willing to accept some who deny its Lord. And on the other hand, it's been willing to split over doctrinal differences that do not call into question real commitment to the true Jesus Christ. This letter reminds us of what is really central. It is Christ who unifies the church. Without him, we have no unity. With him, we have a unity that no human being dare try to destroy. That is powerful. What, who is our communion, our common union? It's Jesus. It's not matters of politics or the latest cultural upheaval. Our common union is Jesus. And if the world, where the, the world's dividing right now, this whole cancel culture that we have out in the world basically is taking things, not all the same things, but taking something and putting it in the closed hand and saying, I'm gonna cancel anybody who doesn't agree with me on this thing. And if in the church we divide over everything that the world's dividing over, we're gonna be a very ineffective church. This is what Jesus said. He said, the world's gonna know who you are, that you're my followers by the way that you love one another. And so know which issues go in the closed hand and which issues go in the open hand. Secondly, if this belongs in the closed hand, then what's my responsibility? And I want to suggest 
How to answer that question, it depends on the situation. It depends on your role. If, for example, if people in authority are departing from the Orthodox Christian faith, then that has a different weight than a brother or sister who's just wrestling with their understanding of God. The reason that, that John was so severe in how he wanted the church to treat the situation was because these people were coming in claiming authority and undermining people's faith. You know, there's a, there's a perceived authority that comes with a guest speaker. Researchers tell us this, that when somebody, somebody and we, we know this anecdotally, guest speakers have a different authority on them because, well, if you traveled all the way here to speak this, you must be right. People often think that way, and it's usually subconscious. They've also said that when people see something published, it suddenly has greater weight. I read it on the internet. I heard it on a podcast. Must be true. If a brother or sister is confused about Jesus, be gentle, humble, and kind. If your church, including this church, our pastors, if we start to depart from a historical Orthodox Jesus, run. And I can tell you, we, we don't get everything right, but we desperately try to keep our eyes on Jesus. We get, we get it wrong on secondary issues, and sometimes we get confused over primary issues, I'm sure. I know, I know that we can't possibly get everything right, right? Chances of that, I'd like that. I'm a perfectionist. I'd really like that. <laughs> Chances are I don't have it all right. Hold us to honest, authentic, historic Jesus, who we claim himself to be. That's why we're going into John for seven weeks. What did Jesus say? I am this. I am that. Third, if it belongs in the open hand, what's my response? What's my response? So here's, this is, if I could give you one gift today, if I could highlight one thing. When we recognize that there is a sincere follower of Jesus who also has truth living in them, meaning also has the Holy Spirit living in them, that's the nature of being born again. If they think differently on an issue that matters deeply to me, something that feels close-handed to me, what do I do about that? Here's what I want to make a suggestion. Do what John did. John said, I don't want to deal with that in writing. I want to deal with it face to face. Get curious about how another Christian thinks differently about that issue. If you're a sincere follower of Jesus, this one seems so plain to me. How do you think differently about that? And here's what you're going to find. Oftentimes, if you, if you delve into not just what they, what they think, but their experience that has shaped them, you find out why they think the way they do. And it'll help you, even if you don't agree with them, it'll help you to stop vilifying them. Because what happens is when we disagree with another Christian, the prevailing culture is to call them names. They're this type of Christian. They're that type of Christian. It's a woke church, right? And those type of, those type of name calling those type of vilifying people on either side of it. I don't think, I think it misses Jesus' heart when Jesus said to his disciples, the world's gonna know that you're my followers by the way you love one another. Church, it's so easy to love people we agree with. Even the world does that. 
The challenge is to love people we disagree with. Paul dealt with this. I'll close with this. Paul dealt with this in the letter of Corinthians. Letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a church and um, their close-handed issue that they disagreed on, that they thought was close-handed and they were dividing over it, was whether or not Christians could eat meat that had been offered to idols. Okay? First of all, almost all the meat in Corinth had been offered to idols. If you went to the market, there's uh, statistically likely that the meat that you're about to buy was offered to an idol first. Some Christians felt if we eat that meat, it will defile us. Other Christians felt no matter of conscience about it. They felt, you know, it, it's just meat. It goes into our body, it goes out. We worship Jesus. And so Paul had to write. They, asked, they actually wrote Paul a letter and asked him, that, what do we do about this? And what he didn't tell him was to divide and create separate churches. He didn't say, well, Corinth needs a first church of the carnivores and first church of the herbivores. <laughs> he said, you figure out how to prefer one another and love on this issue. And don't defile somebody's conscience if they think differently, but don't hate them over an open-handed issue. This is the opportunity to grow in love. The opportunity, the opportunity to grow in love when we agree, it isn't really there. When we have to love someone that we don't agree with, that's when our love gets stretched. Number four, this is just a question for you to reflect on. Who and what am I platforming in my life? Meaning, who and what are you listening to? Who are you watching? What are you watching? Who and what are you reading? What are you scrolling? The, the, the thing that we've found in the current world we live in, this is something that pastors around the nation are lamenting, is that people are more discipled by what they consume during the week than what they consume on Sunday because the ratios are just vastly different. So pay attention to what you're, shaping, to what you're sub opening yourself to and pay attention to what it creates in you. Is it helping you to love others, even those that might be perceived as enemies? Because as Brent pointed out last week, the love that we're called to is agape love, which is more than a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice that I'm going to choose to love you. I'm gonna act towards you in a way that is loving and kind. Jesus did that with people who were his perceived enemies. That's the kind of love we're called to. And if what you're listening to isn't creating that in you for your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ or for those that aren't yet followers of Jesus, maybe you need to turn that down. Is that fair? Listen to things that help you love well. <laughs> little children love one another. Amen? Amen? We were gonna close this morning in a different way. We were gonna close by singing that song that we sang earlier in the, our opening worship set about Jesus because that's who we are. We're people who are focused primarily on Jesus. Jesus is primary. Other things are secondary. But we're out of time. And so, and, and I want to leave time for ministry. I know we have some words for prayer that our prayer team sent this morning, some, a few specific things that they felt like God wanted to, uh, to highlight. 
Uh, these are words for prayer that our, our prayer team sent specifically for this morning. So one is, there is freedom for you. There's also a step out of the boat to Jesus. That's taking a step of faith that is trusting him in something that doesn't make sense from your human reasoning. And there's physical healing. These are th ways that God wants to move in our midst today, ways that God wants to love his children through one another. And so as we close, I'm just gonna close in prayer. And if you would like prayer, if you'd like to respond to those things, or if there's something else you came with this morning that you say, I would love it if a brother or sister in Christ would pray with me, then I'll just invite you to come up and we'll pray together. Why don't we stand? And um, I'll pray and dismiss this. You can go get your kids. You can go sign up for Wednesday Night Alive. It starts this Wednesday. Jesus, it can be a confusing world knowing how to think and how to respond to all the issues that are permeating our day. Holy Spirit, you are the truth that's inside of us. Would you lead us forward? Would you help us to, to live in wisdom and in humility and in love? Would you help us to keep our eyes on you and to find our common union in you? And in that, would you help us to make you famous in this world? Would you help us to not just be an, an echo of the culture, responding in the same ways the culture does, but to show an alternative? Holy Spirit, would you breathe upon us, breathe fresh love into our hearts, would you guide us in our conversations and in our judgments, our opinions, our beliefs, our motives? We hold it all before you. Would you search us and know us? And if there's things in us that are distorting your image, either to ourselves or to one another, would you lay your finger on those things and help us to grow? Shape us to be more like you, Jesus. little children love one another. Amen. If you'd like prayer, we'll be up here. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.